Please pray with me. Thank you for your mighty works, Lord. Pray that we'd be a church that tells others of it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is here. I pray for help as I preach and for each one of us that you'd give us a desire to pursue the abundant life you promise. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So my wife, um, who works in the school district, uh, knows a number of different people and has had a bunch of interactions. There is someone uh, that is one of the the leaders in that system who is really smart and quick-witted and has all these little aphorisms, these pithy little statements, and they're, you know, like leadership wisdom type stuff. And one of them uh, that he says is, responsibility without authority is futility. Responsibility without authority is futility. If you've been tasked with a responsibility to go do something, but not given the power needed to do it, you will be frustrated. It will be futile to try and do it. You need both the the task and then the power, the authority that goes behind it. This plays out in a number of different ways in our lives, but anytime you're trying to do something without adequate power, you you get frustrated. And I, I was thinking about an experience that Heather and I had when our kids were very little. We first got here, someone gave us a sailboat, a small one. We thought, this will be great. We'll put the kids on the bus, we'll go to school, and then we'll go sailing. And we sailed on our terms, not the weather's terms here. And we went out off of Black Creek from that, right there at that public boat ramp and went about, I don't know, a quarter mile out into the river. And then at midday, it gets kind of flat in this time of year, and the wind just died. And we had no motor, so I pulled out the paddle that was underneath in the bottom, and I went, first stroke, both sides broke off of it, and it was a stick. (laughs) It was a stick, and I'm trying to, and you can't do anything with a stick. And it was just futile. I had no power to move. We were dead in the water. And, you know, that's kind of the experience that we have in many places where we feel like we want to do something, we've been commanded to do something, and we don't have the power to get there. I want you to hear this, because this is my main point today. God always empowers what he commands. He empowers what he commands. And Jesus has given commands to his followers. And then today, we focus on the fact that he came behind with the power to do that, the Holy Spirit. If you intend to obey the actual teachings of Jesus, you will need his power, because it's impossible to do it in human strength. It is impossible to do what Jesus commanded in your own strength. But what is impossible with man is possible with God, and the Holy Spirit makes that a possibility. Now, here's the good news about this. Jesus is actually promising an abundant life to those that will walk in his ways. Not necessarily an easy life, but an abundant one. And the minute you let go of your agenda for this life, whatever that is, and you go, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way, and I'm going to follow the teachings of Jesus, you will find abundance. It's a backwards thing, the way the kingdom of God works. Jesus said, if you try to keep your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, for my sake, you will actually keep it. You'll find it. The abundant life comes in letting go of your own agenda and deciding to do the things Jesus taught. That's good news for us. Now, I'm going to talk for a minute about Pentecost and what that is, just kind of historically what it's about. And then we're going to look at three things that happened in the event of Pentecost. So let me back up for a second to way back in the Old Testament, Exodus 34 talks about three feasts, three feasts when the Jewish people had to go up to Jerusalem. The first one is the Feast of Passover, 
remembering when God delivered the Israelites out of Pharaoh's control, the angel of death passed over the houses that had the lamb's blood on their doorposts, and then they got out into the wilderness heading towards the promised land. The Passover is a feast that Jews have to go up to the temple for every year, according to Exodus 34. The second one, the Feast of Pentecost, is, or the Feast of Weeks, it's sometimes called, because it's seven weeks, 49 days plus one, is when the fruit or the harvest of wheat starts to come in, they take the first fruit and they bring it as an offering to the Lord and say, God, we trust you as our provider. We worship you for this first wheat that's come in and we're trusting the rest of the crop is going to come in. And then the third one, the Feast of Tabernacles or Tents, is at the end of the harvest when all the wheat has come in, they bring an offering and they say, thank you for providing for us. We remember how people wandered in tents in the wilderness until you delivered us into this promised land. So three feasts. Now what's awesome about Jesus is he fulfills this whole book. The entire book is about Jesus. So the Passover, there was a Passover lamb sacrificed and the angel of death then passed over. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He was sacrificed so that judgment and death would pass over all who believe in him and his blood. He came and actually was sacrificed on the cross during the feast of the Passover. So Jerusalem was full of people. Then when the feast of Pentecost came around, seven weeks plus one day later, there were all these people in the city and the Holy Spirit came. So when the church, the Christian church, talks about Pentecost, We're talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit, whereas Jews are talking about the Feast of Weeks. Jesus fulfilled both of them. He became the bread for us, the the wheat, the, the bread of life, and he became the Lamb of God. He was both of those and fulfilled them. Now, Pentecost is the resurrection of Jesus, plus 40 days of him going around and visiting people and showing with many proofs that he was bodily resurrected. And then he said, wait in the city, They wait 10 days, making 50, penta, you recognize that prefix, it's 50, literally Pentecost means 50th. It was the 50th day after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit came. The power came. City was full of pilgrims. In Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus made a promise, wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Just wait. And he says, not many days from now, Acts 1 4, and not many meant literally 10 days. Just wait in the city. Last week, we recognized that Jesus ascended then up to heaven. They wait 10 days, and then the Holy Spirit comes in great power. Acts 1.14 tells us that there were 120 disciples at that point. This This was the 11 apostles that were remaining. Judas was no longer with them. It was the women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and it was others. Not quite sure who all the others are. But there were 120 people, and they were in the upper room, probably where Jesus instituted the Last Supper. The doors were locked. They were afraid, and they were praying and just waiting and praying and waiting and praying and waiting for 10 days straight in this upper room. Now, three phenomena happen. A mighty rushing wind, tongues of flame, fire above their heads, and then the ability to speak other languages, Not a prayer language, actual languages. Like if I just busted out into Italian or something right now, they were able to do that. They did it in in the languages of all those peoples gathered so that they marveled that they could hear. So these three things happen. And I'm going to speak to each. But before I do that, I want to clear up a misunderstanding that I think is in the church. The misunderstanding is this. As, As Dan started the service with, if you ask God, he will give his Holy Spirit to you. 
And if you think of me paddling, trying to get to where I want to get with my powerless stick in the water, I'm trying to go there, and we pray, God, give me your Holy Spirit so I can accomplish my plan. And it's like futile, because that's not what God is asking me to do necessarily. If I say, I am committed to your ways, what we find is God comes behind with his power, and he pushes us, and he helps us, because he, remember what I said? He always empowers where he commands. What he commands you to do, he will give you the power to do. It's the main point. I quizzed somebody under the tent after the early service. He didn't know what the main point was. And I went, I failed as a preacher. I failed. I failed. Not you as a student, me. I failed. God empowers where he commands. And the misunderstanding is this. People don't intend to actually obey his commands. And then they ask for the Holy Spirit's power to do their stuff. And they're surprised when they don't have power. That's the misunderstanding. So where he commands, he empowers. Now, what are God's commands? What is his purpose? What is he trying to do? You might notice in this church, we talk about mission a lot. I got a row of missionaries looking at me right now. That's helpful. That's a good prop. Thank you. The reason is not because I've got some side agenda about mission. It's because this is about mission. It's about a missionary God who comes to seek and save the lost and then calls his people to do the same. So everything that we preach is tied to that. If you go to Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So it's local, regional, global. You're to be my witnesses. And we, all, we talk about the Great Commission all the time, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and Jesus is saying, go and make disciples of all nations. And he says, I'm with you in that to the end of the age. The Pentecost event tells us how he is with us. His spirit has come upon the church and he dwells with all who follow him. His power though is to fulfill the mission. It's to do what he commands. It's to go and be witnesses to the abundant life, to the good news, to a relationship with the living God. He wants us to have that and then to go take it to the ends of the earth so that more will come in. This is what the Lord is about. Now, the three things, the three, the three phenomena that happen in the upper room. The first one is words, language. They are given this ability to tell the gospel to others. And there are four places in the book of Acts where it talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out on someone. Here in chapter 2 upon the apostles and the 120, and then it happens again in chapter 8 when Philip, one of, one of those 120, goes to the town of Samaria. Samaritans were bad in Jews' minds, so they were others. They didn't like going to, you know, the parable of the good Samaritan. The Samaritans were others. Philip goes there and tells the gospel, and the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, or the Samaritans. So the gospel's for all people, not just Jews, but also Samaritans. In chapter 10, Peter, led by the Lord through a vision, goes to a Roman's house named Cornelius. While he is speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and all of his household. And then when he reports back to the church in Jerusalem, they're upset that he went, and he, he went into the house of a Gentile, which was not something Jews would do. And then he told them about Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit came and they baptized them with water because the Holy Spirit had baptized them with fire. And so they said, this is what happens. And if the Holy Spirit was not withheld from them, who are we to withhold water baptism? And then the church in Jerusalem got quiet and went, oh. So then the Lord has appointed salvation both 
to Jews and to Gentiles. Again, pouring out for the sake of mission to the ends of the earth, all peoples. And then it happens again in in Ephesus. The Ephesians have the Holy Spirit come upon them when the Apostle Paul goes there in Acts chapter 19. The point here is about mission. And Luke is real, the author of Acts, is really interested in us seeing how they are doing mission. The Holy Spirit is empowering them to do the mission that Jesus has for them. He also is talking about how this is not a new thing. It actually was part, the prophecies talk about this. You know, Joel talking about, I will pour out my spirit on your young men and your women and just everybody. Um, They're going to have the Holy Spirit. And Ezekiel 36 talks about how God is going to put his spirit on his people to vindicate his name, actually. You see, in Ezekiel 36, Israel was meant to be a light to the nations, but they weren't doing a good job. They were not living differently. They didn't have an abundant life. They didn't have other nations looking in at Israel and going, surely their God is the true God. They were looking in, like many people, many do today, to the church and going, I don't see much different about them than us. Why would I want to go and worship their God? And so they get judged. They get exiled out to Babylon. And then through Ezekiel, the Lord speaks. And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back into the land and I'm going to do it for my name. It is, this is an actual quote. This is Ezekiel 36, 22. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but, the, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. You weren't living it, and I'm going to rescue you back, and I'm going to do a work so that people will see me in the midst of you. He goes on and he says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, capital S, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is back in Ezekiel 36, talking about something that is going to happen, that our heart has to be changed. And when that happens, people will look in and go, you're different. Why are you different? How is it that you're able to do those things that you do? Why is your attitude about a situation different than everybody else's would be? They will see who you are and they'll ask questions. Not because of you, because of what God is doing in you. Remember, he empowers what he commands. He wants you to be like Jesus and he's going to help you have the power to do it. Now, as a church, our vision is extending grace, discipling generations. Extending grace. This is about going to the ends of the earth. It's local out to the ends. And we will be talking and continue to talk about church planting. You've heard me talk about that before. There are people that need to hear this. They need to see a church that is full of the Holy Spirit serving him, but they can't get here because it's too far from where they live. There are places all over the city that are growing, places all over the state, places all over the world, and they need churches, and we're sent out. I want to I say a personal note about church planting because I've mentioned it before, and then some of you were scared, like, is Mike leaving us? That was their first thought. I want to be clear on that. I personally do not feel called to go be the church planter, but I'm increasingly clear about my role to equip it to happen. Our church has been an equipping and sending church, and we will continue to do so with even more intentionality. So I'm praying even now about what it would look like for this church to empower that to happen, because that's what he's commanded. You look at this, and it's about taking the gospel out and being witnesses. The words were about the mission to all peoples. Second thing is the wind. 
The wind came in not like when the air conditioner kicks on and there's like a gentle breeze and you go, oh, that's refreshing. The wind came through like someone who decides to uh, avoid the evacuation order and, and ride out the storm in their house out by the coast and then later lives to tell about it, luckily, but regrets it. It was howling, they talk about it. It was so piercingly loud. And in a hurricane, the, the wind is the problem, not the rain typically. Flooding does happen, but the problem is that your roof gets ripped off, a telephone pole gets picked up and thrown like a spear, and all kinds of debris and damage happens. Cars get rolled over. The wind is powerful. You know it. You've been out there. In smaller things, you've felt the power of the wind. It came like a mighty rushing wind, and that was symbolic of the power of God. Again, he empowers where he commands. And he said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to take this to the ends of the earth. They were hiding for fear and praying. Then they had power. And you know what they did? They went straight out into the community and started proclaiming the wondrous deeds of God with boldness. And people were like, what is this? We're hearing this in our own language. Their fear was gone and the power of God had replaced it. Jesus's task, his charge to us is a big one. If you go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right at the very beginning of it, he describes the kingdom life through the Beatitudes, and then he says that you are called to be salt and light, light to those that are in darkness, and salt, which seasons and flavors and preserves decay from decay. So listen to this. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus wants your life to look qualitatively different than the world around that is in darkness. So they will see your good works and then they'll praise your Father in heaven. The only way that's possible is if your life is yielded to the power of God working in and through you. It's going to require an internal transformation, just like Ezekiel said. He needs to give you a new heart. And here he says, your righteousness has to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. You've got to be holier than the most holy people we know because they have an outside holiness, but inside they're not holy. They just have, they're hypocrites. They have whitewashed tombs, Jesus called them. They're white and look painted on the outside and they're full of decay and death on the inside. And what Jesus is saying is my Holy Spirit is going to change you from the inside out. Your desires, your heart will become soft. I will write my law on it. You will delight in God's ways and his commands. That's what we're going to need the power for. And the good works that will then start happening in our lives and the good character that will start to be shaped will be the witness to the world. People will look in and they'll go, you're different. That person snubbed you at work and you should have gotten them back and you blessed them instead. I don't understand that. Why didn't you get them back? They'll look at your life and say, there is a qualitative difference when the power of God is at work and they will want to know why. And then you'll tell them. You'll be a witness. You'll give witness to what is going on in your life. The wind is about the power. The third thing, so there's words about the mission. The wind is about the power. And then there's the fire. Fire is symbolic of purity. If you're going to dig a splinter out of your hand with a push pin out of a a bulletin board, it's wise to get a, a, a fire and light it to sterilize it. It purifies it. Nurses, I know that's a bad idea. Don't, you know, there's a different way to do that. But fire purifies, right? It cauter, it, you can cauterize a wound. You can do some stuff. Or if you think of a, a metal worker um, that's making silver, they, the refiner's fire is about molten metal, and then the, the impure things rise to the top, and they can skim them off. The Bible talks about that, the refiner's fire. God is going to purify us. 
And so when this happens and everybody in the town is going, what is this? They're telling us the good works of God. They're drunk. That's why they're talking all these different languages. And Peter says, no, nine o'clock in the morning, they're not drunk. This is fulfilling what the prophet Joel said. And then he begins to talk about Jesus and how he was crucified. And he puts the blame on the people. If you look at like, this is um, back here in Acts chapter two. If you look at like verse 23, he refers to them as lawless. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. People did not want to live according to God's law. They want to do whatever seems right in their own eyes, and it resulted in them killing the one that God sent to save them. And he points that out. You crucified him, he says in verse 36. And then it tells us that they were cut to the heart. Here comes the refiner's fire. The Holy Spirit convicted them of their wrong attitudes and their lawless behavior and their rejection of God going their own way. They're cut to the heart and they repent. Well, they don't know what they're doing yet, but they say, what should we do? And then they're told, repent and be baptized. Come into the body and start being a disciple with us. Learn how to follow in Jesus's ways. And the early church grows very quickly. His sermon goes on to say, save yourselves from this crooked generation. The generation is crooked and he's going to, by his Holy Spirit, make a pure church. He's going to be purifying his church. Now, as an application to this, I want to invite you this week to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is the greatest sermon ever given. It's Jesus. It's not meant to be taken in little bits and pieces. You've got to read it straight through because there's a sequence to it. And I want you to think about what would it look like to actually do what Jesus commands. And here's, you've got to get this. If you think you just do the behaviors on the outside, you're not getting it. So if you think, okay, it says, don't be angry with people. Well, how are you going to stop that? Right? He said, Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say, don't even be angry. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I'm saying, don't even look at a woman with lustful intent. Bless your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He's talking about something that is way bigger than some kind of behavior on the outside. This is going to take cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord will show you which thing he wants to work on in your life. And you've got to deal with him on that. And go, God, you, my heart is not right. Help me. How, how can I get my heart where you want it? I'm going to need the Holy Spirit. Go there. Be part of that with the Lord in prayer. See, there's a great omission. There's actually a title of a book called The Great Omission. When we read Matthew 28 and it says, Go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'm with you to the end of the age. Did you notice I just omitted it? And teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So your homework this week is to read what he commands and then think about what does it look like to be his student and learn how to do this. It's not going to happen quickly, and it's only going to happen with the purity of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and an embrace of the mission of the Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost is about. Someone said I should add Charlie Brown on the end of that. That's what Pentecost is about, Charlie Brown. <laughs> anyway, let's pray. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, I'm grateful for your Holy Spirit. I'm grateful that you're in the business of doing the impossible. In this room, we hold up to you our hearts. We lift them up to you, and we ask you to soften them, to change them. And we acknowledge that apart from your power and your purity and your mission, we can't do it, but we want to because you've commanded it. So now bring your power, 
Give us the desire. Help us start there. For I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The scripture tells